Hold on. Isn't that what you say you'd have to learn to do to do trapeze? I mean, has anybody ever done trapeze in here? Bobby Joyner, have you ever done trapeze? One of, the t- one of the key ingredients to being a trapeze artist, you have to let go and grab something that you don't know if you're not, know it or not for sure if it's going to be there. But that's the hardest part, isn't it? What if somebody caught your thing when you got a hold of them and somebody, one of those girls on the other side had caught your little trapeze and you turn around and nothing was there? No, no there's a net there. But what if there wasn't? And for us in our lives, one of the hardest things for us to do is to let go of things. Things that have a tendency to hang on for years and years, and, and we just go on, and we always think there's going to be a part. And here I believe there's a lot of people a lot holding on to a lot of things of the past. Maybe it's something little, but it, yet it can be something big. See, the, the difference in a person who lets go and a, and a person who hangs on is all the difference in the world. I could get up there. I could do trapeze. I could try to do trapeze. I could swing. I could swing down and swing back and swing down and swing back. But I would have a hard time let go of my lifeline to grab onto somebody else's hands. And in your life, there's a time when God has come to you and he said, you, you got to let go and learn to reach and hang on to somebody else. I want you to go, if you, if you will, up to your Bibles. To Philippians in chapter 3. It's like people jumping out of planes. Why would you jump out of a perfectly good running airplane, Chris, just to say that you've done it? Why would you, why would you jump out just to say you've done it? Has anybody wanted to skydive before? I have. One, two, Yeah. But to be able to skydive, you've got to re- jump out of something you depended on and jump and go a little farther. Philippians chapter 3 and verse uh, 1 through 12, that's where we're going to go. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you, same thing, to write to you the same things to me is indeed not grievous, but, it was, but, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evildoers, beware of of concision, for we are the circumcision which worship God in spirit and rejoice in the truth and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath, that he hath whereof that he might have trust in the flesh, I want more. Circumcised on the eighth day, the stock of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrew, as touching the law of and a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, I persecuted the church, touching the righteous, which is in the law, blameless. But what things I were, gain, were gained to me, those things counted our loss for Christ. Could you imagine all of your life, everything you've ever done, gearing it toward accomplishing certain things? And it all has to do with the church. It has to do with his fame, it has to do with his name, it has to do with the generational things from his name, being faithful to follow the Lord. And, and all these things were so important to him. But he says, it counts them all as loss. Look in uh, But those things which were gained to me, I count a loss for Christ. Yet doubtless, and I count all things, but loss for the knowledge, excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord, 
for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. I'm going to stop here for just a minute. Because I want you to know that his whole life had been pre-planned. His whole life had been set up to, to excel and, and become part of the Sanhedrin and, and have all these people under him and influence all these people. But for some reason, out of, out of nowhere, on its way to Damascus, the Lord speaks to him. And the Lord tells him, i got something different for you to do. Now, I want you to say this. I want you to go through this sermon with me. And I want you to think about yourself and yourself in mind. Are you with me? There are things that are involved in your life now that God wants you to get rid of so he can really use you. And maybe it's Mission Field. I thought it was a great video, man. Man, how many want to do stand up and worship for those people from all tongues and all nations? And some of you, I believe with all my heart that God is calling you to something greater. Yet doubtless, I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. What had caused him to forsake everything he had ever, ever been taught? It ever, ever thought of his right, and he was beginning to proclaim it, but he gave it all up in an instant. In an instant, he gave it all up. What is so dear to you that you would give up? Or could you not give it up? Read on. And found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but was just through faith in Christ, righteousness of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the power of his sufferings, be made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain to, to the resurrection of the dead, not as though I have already attained, neither, would I, neither were I nearly already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that which also apprehended of Christ. I, I could read all of that, but I'm going to touch on something, go ahead and touch on it. Verse 13. But I counted myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are before. How many of us have been dictated and we believe the lie because we've always been known for something and we've always got that crutch to fall back on and it kind of eases our conscience. Yeah, but look how I've always been, how I've always been judgmental, how I've always been arrogant, or however, whatever this hang-up is in your life, it's always been there. And it's always been your fallback. It's always been your crutch to never move ahead in your walk with the Lord because it intimidates you. There's a requirement when you step out and leave your comfort of, of this thing you've always depended on. And you try to reach out maybe for the first time and it falls short. And so I'll always be this way. I was, let, me, let me go to my notes. Realizing, let go of all your success. Let go of all your accomplishments. Realizing that who you are in the past doesn't justify how we are. And I want to say that again. Think about the things you've done in your past that does not justify who you are and what you have become. There was something greater purpose in your life and a greater reason for your life. What we have done, it doesn't justify. What has happened doesn't just, what doesn't happen doesn't justify. Realizing the failure of previous actions, Paul's position, his education, his position in the church in Judaism, he had to let it all go. He's just like a trapeze artist, and he's flying in the air, but he's leaving from one thing to go to something else. But to do that, you have to depend on your safety. Are you following me? You have to depend on letting go and believing for something else. Some of you wanted to be a believer many times, and, and you felt a little tug in your heart and, and things, but you can't let go of the, of this, of the, I guess the trapeze, I wish I knew what that's called. What's that called? 
Boy, there you go, trapeze, I've called it that once. You can't let go. You can't let go of something you know is there. And the Lord is asking you to let go to receive something different. It totally directionalized, totally redirectionalized your, li- your life. Realizing that he can't get there on his past. He had to put his past in his past and leave it there. I think in verse 14 it says, I press toward the mark, the prize of the high calling of God. And most of my life I, I thought of, um, when I was a little boy, I was a PK, I was a pastor's kid, and I grew up, you know, my all these evangelists and evangelists, but missionaries that come in, and I love the missionaries. Dead silence. I loved missionaries. I loved sitting around and listening to the stories. And, and I remember one time one was talking about eating monkey brains. It just fascinated me. And I always thought that maybe God would call me to go eat monkey brains, and he hasn't. He, but pressing toward the mark of the high, high calling. Many times, if there was anyone in my family who was not one that anyone would, de- would expect to receive anything, let me say, rephrase that. If there was anyone in my family who was never going to get into position of a church or pastor in a church, it was Dwight. And, right, honey? Yes, I, I know. And, and for us, for me to receive this calling, it's something that came from higher. It's something I had to let go of everything in my past and had to go pursue the things of the Lord. High calling is what the Lord is looking for in you, to let go of what you embrace, what he has embraced for your future. What do you hang on? It could be, I'm not saying to quit your job, I'm not saying to do anything, but there's somebody in here, there's several people in here, I think, you've got to learn to let go. Go to Exodus in chapter 3. You ever feel like a nobody? You feel like, oh, I just show up and people see in a crowd, but you're really nobody? School's just started back and and the kids have all started in their own little routines, but how many people really feel like a nobody? In Exodus chapter 3 and verse 11, and Moses said unto God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and should bring forth the children of Israel? I go back in, in time, if you will. You can look at his life from birth. He was, his mom kept him for three months, and she put him in a basket, put him out in the water, and he went down the road, went down the stream, and Pharaoh's daughter took him out, and he was raised in Pharaoh's house, but his wife, his, his mother got to be his nurse. And then he goes on in life, and he's about 20 years of age, and he goes and he kills a guy in, uh, in Egypt and takes off and runs to the backside over to Midian, and he meets a girl, and he falls in love, and, and they have a couple kids, and, and everything's just great, and that's, that was his purpose in life. Verse 12. And he said, certainly, I will be with thee, and I will be a token unto thee that I have sent. This, it shall be a, and this shall be a token to thee that I have sent thee. When thou have brought forth the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God upon this mountain. And Moses said unto God, behold, when I, when I come unto the children of Israel, and when I say to them, to God, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, 
What shall they say to me? What is his name and what shall I say? And we know the rest of this. We know that <clears throat> it was that I am, that I am has sent you. But there was something about him that he felt oh, so insignificant. <clears throat> how, many, how many of you like to get up here and preach on Sundays? You can be honest. Who would like to get up and preach on Sundays? Now, some of you are hiding your hands, but I know you would. But many of you would not. It's the least desire that you have. And so it's the same with him. He had no desire to go into what God had called him to do. Go to chapter 4, verse 1. <clears throat> and Moses answered said, But they believe me, behold, they will not believe or hearken unto my voice, for they have said, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. Isn't it amazing that, that when you're in prayer and you're down here seeking the Lord and, and things, and, or maybe you're driving your car, or maybe you're at work, or maybe you're at home, and the Lord speaks something to you, and you say, but Lord, look at this. Look at this. Look at my limited abilities. Look at my, what I can't do. And the Lord says, yeah, but it's not what you can't do. It's what you can and often we get so focused on all of the excuses and all the reasons we can't move forward and, and do something for God that we hinder. For verse 10. And Moses said unto the Lord, O Lord, I am not eloquent, neither, am, uh, neither hereto, nor since thou hast spoken to thy servant, but I am a slow tongue. Hello, and a slow speech. Yeah, some of you got a little grin out of that. But we have a problem with our communication. Now, it doesn't, it doesn't lessen the fact that the value of what he's saying is not important, but it was the, his ability to, to flow through words, the ability to say things in a way that he would listen. And he thought everybody else would be the same. I'm going to somewhere. Just stay with me. I'm not gifted enough to do this. I'm not gifted enough to speak. Look in verse 11. And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth, or who hath made the deaf, dumb, or the seeing, or the blind. Have not I the Lord, that therefore go, and I will be, I will be with thee with thy mouth, and shall teach thee what thou shalt say. Amazing that every time he had an excuse, the Lord gave him another answer. How many of you kids have ever, let me ask anyone in here, how many of you ever told your parents, I can't do that? I can't do this. I can't do that. And the reason you can't do it is because of why? Absolutely. The same thing comes to you and God because it's very intimate and it's just you and him there and he's talking to you and he's speaking to your heart and he's saying something to you and you say, but Lord, I can't. Look what I've done in my past. Lord, I can't. Look at my present conditions. Look how messed up I am now. How can I possibly step out and, believe and do something for you? But you can Don't make, get out, don't make me get out of my comfort. Get someone else to do it. Isn't that the, the plea that most of us say? And most of us who don't want to do what God would like to have us to do, will say, let somebody else take care of it. I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. Or just, I, I wouldn't do a good enough job. First Samuel, if you will, chapter 15. Yeah, I'm not real qualified. And he said unto him, O my Lord, o my Lord sin, I pray thee by the hand of him who thou wilt sin. There was a woman by the name of Abigail. She 
she was married to a guy by the name of Nabul, or Nabal. Well, she was a gem. How many of you have ever felt like, oh, I married the wrong person, so I can't do anything, or I've done this, or I've done that, and, and it's amazing how many times people have, have, have thought and reasoned within, the, within their minds that they cannot do anything because of what somebody else, because somebody else's influence. God will use you if you'll let him. And it doesn't matter who you're married to or who you're dating. Or who, it doesn't matter. He will use you if you'll be a willing vessel. Abigail was a, a unique lady. She was, the Bible says that she was very beautiful. Look at it here in verse, chapter 5 and verse 2. There was a man in Macon, Maon, whose possessions in, in Carmel. And the man was very great. And he had a thousand sheep and a thousand goats. And was shearing his sheep at Carmel. And then and the, now the name of the man was Nabal, and the wife of the man was Abigail. And she was a woman of good understanding and a beautiful countenance. I want to stop there. I wonder why it would say that about her. It goes on to describe Nabal and throughout this history of this, this chapter that Nabal was kind of foolish. How many of you ever heard the name Nabal? Have you ever looked up the name Nabal? Well, that can be a little homework if you remember this. Look up the name of Nabal. So here's this woman. She's married to him, and he was known to be kind of a, a rowdy guy and not very, not very pleasant. Look in verse, thir verse 13. And David said unto men, Gird ye on every man a sword, and, on, and they girded on every man his sword, and David also girded on his sword. And therefore went up after David to 400 men, and 200 abode by the, by the stuff. Let me tell you what was going on. They went to this town where Nabal lived, and they said, Nabal, we would like to have this and this because we have a bunch of men. We're hungry. where We can be your protectors. But we needed to supply this for us because he had a lot of wealth. He had a lot of, uh, how many knows that everybody that's wealthy isn't real sweet? Well, this guy wasn't real sweet. And they said, you, you provide this for us. I'll wrap this up, make it quick. He offended David. David took his men that are going up there to take his life. He was going to say, he was sabotaged himself and he thought he could not be touched. And then verse 13, verse, um, verse 13, verse 14, verse, no, verse 18. And Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and, and two bottles of wine and five sheep ready dressed, already cut up, butchered and all. And five measures of corn, and parched corn, and a hundred clusters of raisins, two hundred figs, and laid them on the donkeys. And she took them all to him. Now, Abigail, we don't hear about her any other place in the Bible but here. And so God, well, maybe a couple of places, but this situation, she showed mercy on behalf of Nabal and on behalf of herself. Her reaction brought people, uh, her reaction brought peace to her family and to her family, to herself. Look in verse, uh, verse 38. Verse 36, and Abigail, Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, his feast for the king, like the feast. Uh, when Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk, and whereas he told him, she told him nothing, less more until the morning light. But it came to pass in the morning when the wine was gone out of Nabal, that the wife told him these things, and his heart died within him because he, because he became as a stone. 
And it came to pass after 10 days after that he had smote Nabal that he died. Now, the thing I want to close with this on this particular passage. Verse 39 says, And David heard Nabal was dead. He said, Blessed be the Lord that had pleaded the cause of my approach to the hand of Nabal. And he heard his servant from, kept his servant from evil. The Lord hath returned the wickedness of Nabal upon his own head. And David sent a communion with Abigail to take her to wife. And when the servants, when the servants were come to Abigail to Carmel, they said to her, saying, David sent to take thee his wife. And she arose and bowed herself on the face of the earth. I want you to look at the very nature of this only. And behold, let thy handmaid of a servant, of a servant wash the feet of the servants of the Lord. She was, everything about her wasn't anything fake. Even though she was a bad situation. Let me close. In Exodus chapter 1, there was, there was two ladies. And I'll just read their name. And I'll tell you what they done. Never again were these people ever mentioned. Sifra and Pua. They were midwives. There was nothing they could do to free Israel from the hand of the Pharaoh of the Egyptians. They didn't think. Well, the king tells them because they're midwives to take all the lives of all the firstborn or all the boys that are born. And they refuse to do so. Many times there's things in our life that we think we're limited to do. We can't respond. We can't, re, we can't do whatever on. But we're no different than them. These women value life. These women held to a higher value even after 400 years of slavery. There's still some value. Now look at me, please. Look at me, please. There was still some value in their hearts. And regardless if you've run off and, and done things wrong or whatever's going on in your life, or doesn't matter, but there's still value there. In the right place, then at the right time, they made the, the right decision to make a difference. I'm going to ask you to come forward this morning. I'm going to tell you exactly how. But different ones of you in here are, are lamenting past, looking at others and justify why you don't reach out and, and do something. And I'm not saying necessarily in the church. I'm saying at work. I'm saying in your environment. I'm saying in your family. There's some things that God's calling you to do, to do to step out and be different. God is wanting it all. No hanging on to what will make others, make others happy what others, or worrying about what others will think. I can't get the past out of your mind. You You will. I deserve to stay here with all that I've done. I remember praying with a guy once and said it's just too late for him. He was pretty old. He was 23. And, man, his whole life was gone. But it wasn't. See, actually he was 25. Part of his life was gone. His name is Ricky Burns. I may have told this before. I may not have. 
When my dad died, he, had, my father had uh, had done a variety of things for them as well. And it's a pretty neat family. It's pretty poor. A variety of things went on in their home. Uh, he's been raised by his dad, you know, mother involved. And my dad had done some things to help the family. And when my father was killed, he called and he was a basket case. He was, uh, he couldn't understand why Marvin Hensley, who could, who could do such a terrible thing. And I said, well, Rick, come on down. Uh, talk to me. So we drove down. We went to the church and we just talked. And I began to, I began to tell him what I just said. He thought things were too far. He had been gone too, gone, too long. And I read him a simple scripture. And Ricky Burns broke. And he gave his heart to Christ right there. There was something radiating about him that, that he didn't deserve to stay. He didn't deserve to come to the place he had to come. And maybe this morning, it's something you've thought about. Some of you are saying, does it mean I'm not saved? No, it doesn't. But there are people here who need to step out and believe and trust and, and just totally depend on the Lord. Just like the trapeze artist that let go, flipped or whatever they done, and there was someone else to catch them there. Take them to another place. And I want you to stand with me if you would.